We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank God. I want to, I want to curse and say hallelujah. Oh my goodness, yeah. That was a good game. Everybody showed great energy tonight. We had fun. You know, Booker just kept on emphasizing the whole game, like, you know, playing the right way is contagious, and he was preaching. You know, Reverend Booker over there was really preaching, you know, and it really got us amped up. You know, that, that, that type of stuff is really, really contagious when you see other guys playing for you or for each other. Reverend Booker. The Phoenix Suns officially end a franchise record 17-game losing streak with a win against Miami, and I don't know how to feel. I literally don't know how to feel. But Sam, how are you doing? Phoenix fans... This is your championship. <laughs> Celebrate tonight because we don't we don't know when the next win is coming. So that I mean weirdly, that's how you should feel. <laughs> weirdly, the Phoenix Suns beat both Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic in a season that they only have twelve wins in, and Eric Bledsoe is on the number one team in the NBA. <laughs> it's a weird season where we can't beat anyone except for the guys that McDonough. It's like McDonough's last stand. We talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, getting revenge on the guys that he pissed off while he was here. It's a weird season and, and a really weird win. It did not feel, throughout that game, it did not feel to me, and maybe this is just a state of where Suns fans are at right now, but throughout that game, it did not feel as if we were in control at all. Uh, it took a, a big run in the third quarter to t- kind of take control of the game, and then it was still very close all the way down into the last few possessions of the game. How did you feel about that Miami game? Yeah, the Suns did not deserve to win that game. They got lucky. Uh, So I'm happy with the result, obviously, but it took the worst three-point shooting team in the league to have a game where they shot 41% from deep. Uh, Miami was playing zone defense, something you rarely see in the NBA, to just, you know, just begging the Suns to take outside shots. They were able to hit their corner threes tonight and make it work, Um, but they got lucky. I mean, with a couple of plays towards the end of the game, um, Bam Adebayo, I think it was, almost got a put put back dunk to end the game mm-hmm. for uh, Miami. There was this pass to DeAndre Ayton that put the Suns up. Uh, that was, you know, an inch or two away from being deflected. They almost didn't find him in time. Little plays like that where it could have gone either way. Uh, and so the Suns definitely benefited from a lot of luck tonight. Commenting quickly on the thing you said about Goran Dragic, I just think it's funny because Suns fans might still care about that. They might not. 
but no one in the Suns organization probably cares about that, at least not the players, because I'm pretty sure everyone Goran Dragic played with on the Phoenix Suns is now gone from the current team, except for TJ Warren. Yeah. He's the only yeah, one left, exactly and that, right. that was only a few years ago. Eric Bledsoe, a little bit different. Obviously, that was only the beginning of last year, so he's got more uh, former teammates still on the Suns, but Dragic... These guys don't give a shit about Dragic because they didn't play with him. I think you're right about that. But to your point about the Suns not really deserving to win this game, and I'm happy they did. It, it, it will help them as far as their attitudes. And, and just losing a lot for guys that have been winners their entire life, which most of these guys have, it can it can wear on you a little bit. So I'm, I'm happy they won. I think it's good for their morale. But it took 16 points by Jamal Crawford, and it took 14 points by Troy Daniels. And that's just not something that you can rely on. And, it, you know, and that's what it takes. It really is what it takes for the Suns team. That's a normal thing for a, a good team to get, you know, 15, around 15 points from a good player off the bench. That's a normal thing. The Suns just don't have the kind of depth uh, to get that. Of course, you know how Sam and I feel. We talk about it all the time. We do think that Troy Daniels should get more minutes. We're the worst shooting team in the NBA and we have a killer three-point shooter just wasting away on our bench. We expected him to be moved. If he's not going to be played, I don't really understand why he's still on the team. I hope that you know it took four, actually maybe even five fouls by Devin Booker to get Troy Daniels into the game today. And I really hope that woke up Igor Kokoshkov, a guy we're going to probably talk about a lot on this podcast. I hope it woke him up a little bit to the benefits of playing a floor spacer like Troy Daniels, even in a weird lineup that included Jamal Crawford, Troy Daniels, and Devin Booker. At least there was some shooting with that lineup, as weird as it was. So much of Mikhail Bridges at the four tonight, just showing how much of a problem, again, we have with our roster construction and a lack of a power forward. But yeah, Troy Daniels was absolutely integral to this win. He had a great game, 14 points, five of six shooting, three for three from deep. How many, Mike, let me ask you something. How many more wins... Do you think the Suns would have if this entire season Troy Daniels had been a regular part of the rotation taking, let's say, all of Josh Jackson's minutes? Because my take <laughs> my take here, and I'm being serious, I think the Suns would have maybe three, four, maybe even five more wins if you made the simple swap, and I'm, I'm completely serious, of replacing all of Josh Jackson's minutes with a guy like Troy Daniels. It just fits what the Suns need. I know exactly what you mean with that take, although I don't think there's much as far as coaching that can be. Well, here's the problem that the Suns face as an organization is Josh Jackson was taken with the fourth overall pick, and I just don't want this to turn into a complete criticism of Igor Kokoshkov here, so I'm being very careful with how I word this. I agree with you, and I've been saying, let it fly. That's my phrase that I've been saying about Troy Daniels all year. Just let him shoot. Just put him in. Let it fly. And what I think about it is we need to develop Josh Jackson. It's imperative. It's important for the future of this team to see if he's a possible – if he's a guy we need to hold on to, really, more than anything at this point because he hasn't shown that yet. But I agree with you. Maybe I don't know if I would go as far as three, four, five games, maybe one or two games. I don't know. Maybe you're right, though, because – the shooting on this team is so, so, so bad. If we just had one guy that you just had to guard out there all the time, it would open it up a lot for the other guys, the other offensive guys, which we only really have two in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. It's a super imprecise way of calculating it, but technically if you go by the advanced stat win shares, Josh Jackson right now has negative 1.4 win shares uh, on the season. His value over replacement player is about negative one. It makes him one of the worst players in the NBA. Troy Daniels last year played 81 games for the Suns at 20 minutes per game. You know, we all remember he was a regular rotation player um, and put together 1.4 win shares throughout the course of the season there. So if you look at that, like you just swap out one for the other, you're talking about a net difference of about 2.8 wins theoretically, if you replace Josh Jackson for Troy Daniels. Now, it doesn't always work like that. And another thing, I'm not being entirely fair to Josh because he's being asked to play out of position quite a lot this year, especially power forward. Troy is a guy who just can't do that. Uh, but I part of me really does feel that, I mean, hey, we're the worst three-point shooting team in the league. It just doesn't make any sense that this guy hasn't gotten any playing time to date. Uh, and I even thought Jamal, Troy, and Booker playing with five fouls we're looking pretty good on defense tonight down the stretch. You know, not lockdown defenders, but they were at least putting in a lot of effort. Uh, and frankly, at this point, that's more than I expected. Yeah, that's kind of what a lot of our defensive issues are, are effort-related. That That's kind of what it boils down to. I do want to talk about one thing that's kind of come up, and maybe I'm jumping to this a little early here, but DeAndre Ayton didn't get a lot of touches in this game still. 
you know, he's a great offensive player. He kind of made a comment about wanting to take over. And then recently this week, his account, I mean, arguably during a game, was retweeting tweets that said the Suns either don't run plays for him or he does not get the ball enough. So, you know, as thinking about this offense and how it works and the spacing underneath, I we've talked about it. You can't just force the ball into DeAndre Ayton. The less spacing, with, with being the worst three-point shooting team in the league, without Troy Daniels on the floor especially, it's difficult to get the ball underneath. Now, first of all, we can talk about a couple things with these retweets. The first thing is... What's going on? What, what is this? <laughs> Why is DeAndre Ayton's uh, official Twitter account retweeting tweets during the game? This obviously, I mean, we don't know the the details of this. I don't know if he's been asked it. If he has been asked about it, I haven't seen it yet. But it basically it boils down to somebody probably running his account. I know he doesn't run his Instagram. He said that in interviews before. Maybe he doesn't run his Twitter account. Maybe that person forgot that they were logged in to his account and not their personal private account, I assume, and they were retweeting stuff without thinking about it. That that's kind of the first thing. What what do you Yeah, think? I think exactly what you're saying is the most likely explanation. If he does I, first of all, I didn't know about that interview. If he already said that someone else runs his Instagram account, I'm sure someone's running his Twitter account. He's got 60,000 followers yeah. built in that he can market out to you know what whatever advertiser you want. Maybe it's some sort of agent. Who knows? Maybe it's some trusted member of his family, even. It it could be anyone. Um, But I think the most likely explanation is that it's just not him who is retweeting that stuff. Uh, He might Mm -hmm. think it, though. Uh, In fact, I'm sure he probably thinks it uh, about his lack of touches in this offense. And the question is, uh, where's the boiling point for that level of frustration? So do you think that it's a fair criticism? We've we've talked a lot about DeAndre Ayton and his role in this offense, but we haven't really... Uh, directly addressed the crowd that says Aiton deserves the ball more in a while. We we talked about it a little bit early in the season when we thought, you know, maybe it was a little too early to force it down low to him too often. But at this point with the season where it's at, 17 losses in a row, now we have one win. We're officially on a winning streak. Uh, do you think it's a fair criticism to say he doesn't get the ball enough or his role is diminished in this offense compared to what it should be? Uh, yes, um, but here's the thing. I think modern offenses typically don't work in the way that a lot of fans are thinking where you're just going to give 50 post touches to DeAndre in a game. I I don't think that's necessarily, even if you see him as a small ball killer in that sense, he's mostly a small ball, small ball killer in the sense that he is still a very athletic guy who can run in transition and make those rim running plays and not so much in that he's going to be fed in the post every other possession. I, I just don't think you can really get away with doing that. All that being said, your offense needs to adapt to what the most efficient weapons are. And right now, a DeAndre Aiden post-up is probably one of the most efficient weapons the Suns have. You cannot have Kelly Oubre and Josh Jackson taking 15 to 20 shot attempts uh, and go 5 for 15 or 6 for 18 or whatever the two of them have collectively both been doing uh, in these past few games and for this entire losing streak while DeAndre Ayton sits there and goes 7 for 10 in something like 35 minutes. That is just unacceptable. Uh, but, you know, so I, I think there's two sides to the argument there, and, and we could really hash it out over a longer period of time. Well, we should say, though, what's come up a lot throughout this losing streak was the theme of accountability. The team is constantly talking about accountability in their post-game interviews. This is a lot coming from Devin Booker, a lot coming from DeAndre Ayton. I've heard some from Kelly Oubre, Mikael Bridges, Josh Jackson. All, all the main guys are talking about accountability and how important it is to hold each other accountable and how they want to hold each other accountable well on the floor. Now, I wonder, thinking about accountability and DeAndre Ayton's lack of touches, I guess the question could be twofold. Does he deserve more in that should we be forcing the ball into it more? And if we should be, who should be held accountable for that? Because I have some theories about the way the team has been talking to each other and the way they've been acting with each other. And I'm just wondering if there's blame to be had here and if they're pointing the fingers around. Do you think they're pointing it at Igor? Do you think they're pointing the fingers at each other as far as that's what they mean when they say accountability? How do, how do you feel about this theme of accountability in general? That's really tough to say, especially as, you know, the two of us were not around the locker room. So far, they've been giving great answers uh, to the press consistently game after game. I, I've been, you know, pretty impressed with the maturity. We haven't seen any I don't want to be here tweets. We haven't seen any Markeith Morris throwing in the towels, uh, literally. Um, 
but at the same time, talk is cheap. And so I don't really know. I mean, I'd like to say that these guys do like each other. They're all young. They're about the same age. There's plenty that they can bond over off the court, even if it's not leading to on-court success. At the same time, if you're a guy like DeAndre Aiden and you're not getting touches, it's fairly obvious who you start to blame. Well, I, I should say there's two people you start to blame. You either start to blame the coaching staff or you start to blame the primary playmakers on your team. He's not going to be mad directly i don't think at kelly Oubre or josh jackson for taking the shots that they're taking within the flow of the offense if anyone uh if there's anyone he should have a gripe with it's the jamal crawford's the devin bookers the tyler johnson's the guys that are directly running that offense and have the most opportunities to get him uh into the flow of the game early on in the first quarter and early on in the shot clock of each possession I know we've talked about it so many times, but the fact that when you list the primary playmakers of this team, you're not listing a single point guard, it just shows the, the problems with this team in general and, and the problems with the expectations of DeAndre Ayton getting the, getting the ball as much as people want him to. It's just not going to happen when nobody is a natural playmaker, especially uh, post passes. Those lob passes to the post are some of the most difficult passes in the NBA because guys are long and they can jump really high. That's the basics of it. But I do want to talk a little bit about that accountability and this just the the concept of what the leadership is on this team and what it should be. Because what it's turning into is guys just yelling at each other on the floor uh, constantly. Anytime there's a mistake, the first thing they look for is blame. And I don't want to get too Oz principle on you, but there is a difference between <laughs> accountability and blame. But right now, the accountability is turning into blame. It's finger pointing. There's no, there's, there's no accountability within themselves because what accountability should be, and I'm, and I am basing this off the Oz principle. It's looking within. <laughs> You're supposed to own it. This is the second stage of accountability. You see it, own it. That's the second stage. You own it. You have to own it. And I don't feel like they're doing that. And I feel like the problem is twofold. Devin Booker is a huge fan of Kobe Bryant, and I think there's this Kobe Bryant school of leadership where it's a common thing to to yell at players and sort of embarrass them into playing well. And I don't think that's good for this generation of players. And I can talk more about that. But I, I, but the other part of are that we going to get into a, a conversation com- about millennials now? Generally, <laughs> in our work ethic. <laughs> yes, of course. This shows the generation I, I, gap between you and I. I strongly believe in millennials. I strongly, strongly believe in millennials and their work ethic. The only reason this podcast is still together is because Mike coddles me and tells me I've done a very good job after every episode. (laughs) If he gave me any harsh criticism, I'd be out by now. (laughs) I think there was another conversation that happened that I've I've referenced a few times on this podcast where after a game last season where uh, the Thunder and the Suns were playing, which last season and the few seasons before that have always been very entertaining, very close games, regardless of how good the Thunder have been and how bad the Suns have been. There was a close game where Russell Westbrook took over towards the end of the game, and then at the end of the game there were some meaningless free throws, and you can see Devin Booker and Russell Westbrook talking at the end of the floor. And the conversation boiled down to accountability. Once again, you have to hold your teammates accountable is what Russell Westbrook told Devin Booker. And I think what this has turned into is a lot of yelling, a lot of finger pointing and a lot of frustrated arguments where I think that a lot of players, and I don't, I don't think that this is a crazy millennial thing because I think one (laughs) of the best leaders that I've seen was Steve Nash. And this was years and years and years ago. And Steve Nash constantly led through encouragement and I've seen Steve Nash on those playoff teams and those Western Conference Finals teams, but I've also seen him with Martian Gortat. I've also seen him with a young Jared Dudley. I think it's not always great teams that you can just lead by encouragement and sort of the happiness. You you have to, it's a long season. You have to build guys up. You can't just constantly lead by tearing them down. So I'm a little worried about this concept, this Kobe Bryant school of leadership. I like to point the blame at Kobe Bryant more than anyone because it's just a natural place for me to live in. But I, I'm, I'm just a little worried about that fracturing the relationships because the idea of this team right now, Devin Booker signed for five years. We have DeAndre eight and he can be on the team. We have team control for up to nine, ten years for his contract. We could have Josh Jackson. We could have Mikhail Bridges for a long time. These guys need to get along and they have to understand that they're building together potentially for 10 years. So they should build each other up a little bit more. Maybe I'm being a little paranoid, but this 17-game losing streak you could see the fractures, you could see the cracks, you could see the fissures that are now leading to a report of potentially Igor Kokoshkov or the the leadership on the Suns team maybe considering firing him, which we're going to talk about in a minute. 
But what do you think about this concept of leadership around this team? I mean, I think you're being a little paranoid. It's well, first of all, I, I have been frustrated with Devin Booker before in terms of taking accountability of his actions. For those who are curious, by the way, this 17 game losing streak hasn't been like Devin Booker has. Well, I, I mean, if you watch the games, you've noticed this. It hasn't been Devin Booker going out there and dominating and his teammates just dragging him down to the point where we lose. Devin Booker has in many ways had his own struggles. In fact, the Suns are playing. 7.7 points per 100 possessions worse with Devin Booker on the floor uh, for that 17-game losing streak. They're a minus 16.1 net rating with him on the court. They're a minus 8.4 net rating with him off the court. Obviously, that means they're still a bad basketball team regardless of whether he's on or on the court. But uh, it's it's not like Devin Booker can just shirk his responsibilities here because he's had a big part in uh, these losses. All that being said... Uh, I, I do think that it's easy for us to get a little bit paranoid about this, given that our role in this entire thing is we watch the games, we tweet out from our Twitter accounts, and we talk about the team for a couple hours a week for our podcast. These guys are, there's just no reasonable expectation for them to go through a 17-game losing streak and not begin to see those fractures. This is their entire life. It's their career. It's it's just their entire purpose is to be good at basketball. It's what they do from when they wake up in the morning to when they go to bed at night. And they're not just going to go in there after the 15th, 16th straight loss into the locker room and all embrace each other and say, hey, man, good job tonight, when frankly, that's not true. And I'm sure Devin Booker can see that. He can see that his teammates are the worst three-point shooters in the league. He can see that his teammates are the worst rebounders in the NBA, some of the worst defenders. Obviously, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have his own things that he has to take care of. But I, I think it's a bit unreasonable of an expectation for him to just give the same level of encouragement that Steve Nash did. Steve Nash never had to deal with a team nearly as bad as Devin Booker is dealing with right now. I'm going to put you on the spot. Devin Booker is our best player. Currently, our best player. Do you think he is a good leader? Well, okay. Um, no. Well, again, I'm not in the locker room. <laughs> you really are putting me on the spot. Again, I'm not in the locker yeah. room. I, in many ways, don't feel uh, qualified to make that sort of assessment. From what I've seen from a fan perspective, because everything we talk about on this podcast is from a fan perspective, uh, it seems like no. But he can get there. And in a lot of ways, I think he does the right things. I think he says the right things to the media so far. Uh, he certainly hasn't cried enough to, to warrant getting himself out of Phoenix yet. Uh, but I don't know. You can you can just so, sort of see it in his general attitude. I think there are a lot of people around the league who generally don't like Devin Booker. They talk about him having like a punchable face, essentially. And you can sort of see why people outside of Phoenix don't like this guy. He complains to officials. He racks up technical fouls. Mike, this is not a new discussion that we've had, by the way, the whole finger pointing thing. At the beginning mm -hmm. of this season, I remember us vividly having a conversation about Devin Booker finger pointing at DeAndre Ayton after some of his defensive mistakes and whether that was the yeah. right leadership style. So yeah. it's not just something that happened after a 17-game loss. It's something that happened very early on in the season, even when this team still had hope. Uh, so given all, all of those things, no, right now I would say he's not the best leader uh, for this team. But that also doesn't mean he doesn't have an incredibly hard job right now and an incredible amount of weight on his shoulders. I think the reason I wanted to bring it up again is because the theme of accountability is just coming up more and more and more and more. And I want to be clear, I don't I don't think that Devin Booker is currently a good leader. I don't think that that means he will not be a good leader later in his career. I think it's very possible that he could get better at it, just like he's gotten better at all of his basketball skills. And I do agree with you when you say that he's very media savvy. He's almost media trained. I think a lot of these guys that come from Kentucky are very good with the media, you know, save for Anthony Davis in the last few weeks. Uh, I think they've done very well as far as preparing their guys from that school to talk to the media and understanding how fans could take the things that they say and twist it and turn it. And I don't blame Devin Booker for any of that. I think that the the amount of pressure and the amount that has been put on him, the entire franchise essentially, has been put on his shoulders at a very young age is unfair to him when you don't have other guys that can help shoulder that with him. De DeAndre Ayton is not ready for it. We don't have a point guard. Point guards are generally the best leaders because they have the ball 
in their hands the majority of the time and our best or our best leader and this could be arguable is probably Jamal Crawford who's at the end of his career he's a bad defender and he's just playing out of position I mean we put everybody in a really tough 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 position as far as where they're at so I don't blame Devin Booker for it but I think we've talked about it I think there's a leadership void on this team that I think I don't think that people have talked about it enough because I think how important it is to have a leader on the floor outside of the coaching staff is overlooked when people talk about teams like this. They kind of look at it as here's what the players are doing, here's what the coaches are doing. Now I'm going to point my fingers one way or the other. And a lot of times we've talked about it, those fingers need to be pointed up at our general manager and at our at our dear leader, <laughs> Robert Sarver, running this team into the ground. Um, but since we're on the topic of the roster construction. Let's take a quick break and we're going to talk about the Godfather Gambadoro and what he said on the radio today. So Gambadoro, the Godfather himself, said on the radio today that if the Phoenix Suns were to fire Igor Kokoshkov, now would be a good time. And I think there's a couple reasons he's bringing this up. First of all, it could have been an 18-game losing streak. When he said that, the game hadn't occurred yet, so it could have been an 18-game losing streak. It's the end of a road trip, and there's some time before the next game for the Phoenix Suns. I think the implication is now's a good time to do it. But because it's Gambo, because it's the Godfather, it, you can't help but wonder if this is coming from somewhere. That it's not just an opinion. This guy seems to be the most connected with the team of any of the reporters out there. And a lot of people believe that his connection is with our dear leader, Mr. Sarver himself. <laughs> I don't know how true it is. We don't have any, uh, you know, of course, there's no indication one way or the other on that. But. There is something there, it seems like. Now, we talked a little bit about whether or not we were even going to record this podcast since immediately after the Miami game. We weren't even sure if this, this was a good time to record because what if we record today and then tomorrow, first thing in the in the morning, there's a Woj tweet about the Suns hiring Rick Pitino for the rest of the <laughs> season. <laughs> what do you think about this report, Sam? It's insane. Well, I, I didn't hear the segment on the radio so i didn't hear how it was phrased it, it sounds like speculation or no can can you just explain that part to me i haven't heard it either i'm only going <laughs> off of what was summarized i just saw i just saw everyone freaking out on twitter and all all the blowing up at each other about fire igor or or keep igor i don't know we the, come on guys we've rehashed this discussion a hundred times by now we've been talking about it all season i understand that there's some of some of you out there that have wanted igor gone since game 20 of the season, I still don't think it's the right idea even right now. And I'm not only saying that because they just won a game. Even if they had lost tonight, I wouldn't be saying that it was the right. We said it last week. We said it last On week. On a 15 game losing yeah, streak. Yeah, <laughs> and there ain't that much of a difference between 15 games and 18 games, uh, practically mm -hmm. speaking. So, yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to do it. I think the one reason that we're really covering this is because it's Gambo. And when it's Gambo, you have to give it a little extra weight. Uh, you know, like when you hear on draft night about how the Suns are about to acquire Shea Gilchis Alexander. <laughs> now, to be fair, it doesn't seem like that was Gambo's fault because it seems like later that was uh, there was that report. I don't remember when it came out anymore, but I guess a couple of months ago when it said that uh, Sarver nixed that deal personally to get us Mikhail Bridges, which maybe will pay out in the, in the long run. What do you think are the biggest mistakes that Igor Kokoshkov has made so far? Because I just I know we keep rehashing this conversation, but I think it's important to actually talk about the biggest problems that he's had. Because uh, although we defend him, I don't think he's been perfect. I think there's been problems. But even if all of the problems that we are speaking about were fixed, I don't think that this team would be in much of a different position as far as wins record. Maybe one or two more wins potentially. But, for example, the first thing that we like to criticize him for was playing Troy Daniels more. We talked about Is that the first thing, Troy as in the most important thing? Well, <laughs> because it's not. It's not. It, well, it would it's the be first a nice thing, thing we talked about today. Okay. Today, yeah. in this in this podcast. 
Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because part of that part of that conversation was that could he replace all of Josh Jackson's minutes? There's no way that our general manager and our dear leader Robert Sarver, I guess that's his new nickname, uh, it would allow this team to give up all of Josh Jackson's minutes. So that there's an example. Maybe you could talk about replacing all of Jamal Crawford's minutes with Troy Daniels, and maybe that would help. But I don't think that would make much of a difference as far as. I mean, first of all, Troy Daniels was good today, and he was getting absolutely slaughtered on defense. He could not defend anyone. It's basically the exact same as Jamal Crawford other than the ball handling. He doesn't really have the ball handling skills that Jamal Crawford He can has. put up a hand to contest a shot, and that's sort of what I was talking <laughs> about like with effort before. Like He can put up a hand mm-hmm. to contest the shot. He doesn't have natural length. He doesn't have natural speed. Or strength. Or strength. That's, a, that's another important one. He doesn't have the lateral quickness, and he'll get lost on defense. Um, in in the team scheme but if it's just a guy is catching and shooting Troy has to go close out and put up a hand in his face he'll do that and that's Mm -hmm. sort of what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode with there's such a low bar like some guys on our team don't do that Uh, but yeah I I wasn't saying that Troy's a good defender because he's not I was just saying he did a decent job tonight given my expectations yeah and I think there was a certain point in the game where Drogic just went at him four or five possessions in a row and there's nothing he could do and I don't blame Troy Daniels for that there's just he's not really built to guard a guy like Drogic and that's not what he's on the floor for anyway he's there because you need offense and this team needs both we're really bad at both we're at the bottom of the floor in both but I think a lot of Suns fans are looking at this as sort of an equation Last year, we had a ton of bad players. This year, we added some more good players and were worse. And they look at that equation in general and they're saying, what doesn't add up? And they're trying to solve for that. And that falls onto Igor Kokoshkov. And I just, I think that, what other criticisms, I guess? Let's, let's start there. What are the criticisms? I think the number one is probably his rotations. Is that right? The number one is uh, his handling of DeAndre Ayton. If you, are you asking me or are you asking like the general, let's speak for the Suns fan base? I mean, both, both. I'd like to hear what you think. Well, I think, well, I agree with that, that, you know, not, I mean, the eight and touches thing. If And if you look online, that's what Suns fans are talking about, right? Like they're angry that the number, they, they're angry. They feel cheated. They feel cheated that they got so excited in May that the Suns finally got the first overall pick in so many years. And now they're watching the first overall pick play is 35 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game, really. But he's not getting more than 10 shots, even though we know at this point that he's one of the most efficient options uh, within the flow of the offense. That's why they feel cheated, and that's why they're angry at Igor. And that is one of the things that I think is uh, a valid complaint. So you're saying that if DeAndre had more touches, say he was averaging 17 shots a game instead of, I think he's at like 12 or 13 right now. Say he increases it quite a bit. Now he's averaging 20 points a game, and we still have 11 wins you think that that would be enough for Suns fans? Or do you think that they would just turn their ire at some other thing he's doing? No, of course they would turn their eye at some other thing. And look, there's a reason DeAndre doesn't get the ball as much as he does. There were a couple of times where they fed him early on in a possession, early in the shot clock. He catches the ball about 18 feet out, and he doesn't even try. He he had Whiteside on him, who's a great great defender, first of all. He doesn't even try to make a move off the dribble. He doesn't put his... uh, back to the basket either because he's too far out for that and he's not strong enough to post him down all the way down uh and he doesn't try to make a move so he just immediately leans on that face up like 18 foot 20 foot mid-range jumper uh that he's been using so much that's not gonna cut it at this level for deandre Ayton to be an all nba caliber uh amazing offensive superstar that we want him to be he needs more of a go-to move he needs stuff that he can do to create for himself off the dribble he can't just be relying on put back dunks alley-oops and face-up jumpers but yeah back to Igor though we the fans would find something else there's other stuff to complain about with him too and I think I still think that that's only partially on Igor I think that's a lot of that is still on DeAndre and he's not and just like you talked about sometimes he doesn't know what to do when he catches it too far out of his range and I also don't think he's aggressive enough off the ball to seal off or create enough space off the ball to properly catch the ball and and get in a place close enough to the basket that he can turn around and make an easy move to score instead of catching it, like you said, from 18, 19 feet away and trying to figure it out from there. I just think I just want to remind people that that this this roster is insane, and we did add more good players. I actually do agree with that. I think Kelly Oubre is good, DeAndre Ayton's good, but he's yeah. still a rookie. And Mikael Bridges, as good as he's been, he's still a rookie. That means that they're going to make a lot of mistakes throughout this season, 
And your hope for them is that they're going to be good later. So I think, well, you can just kind of look at the equation on its own. This team also does not make sense. There's not no rebounding, there's no shooting, and there's no playmaking. That, that's you can't. I mean, you can't just do anything with no rebounding, no shooting, and playmaking. What I'm describing when I describe those three things is basketball. I'm describing <laughs> basketball. They're bad at basketball. The Suns tonight. This was their first game shooting over 35 percent from deep as a team since February 2nd, which is like 10 games ago. For the 17 game losing streak, they shot 29 percent. As a team, and I'm saying had they had another shooting performance like that, which is what they're consistently doing because they're a roster full of bad shooters, that is what the Heat were banking on. The Heat would have won this game. That's why they went to the zone because they weren't afraid of the sun swinging around the perimeter and hitting guys in the corners because they just figured, you know what, let them take it. They can't hit that shot anyway. Tonight, the Suns proved that they could on the backs of scrubs for all intents and purposes like... (laughs) Jamal Crawford and Troy Daniels, but that's not going to happen in the long run. It's not going to happen on most nights. Mm -hmm. And obviously the playmaking is a huge problem too. How many more wins do you think we would have if this doesn't even solve the shooting problem? But I I just don't agree with the assessment that we have more good players. We have more young players that might be good in the future, but not necessarily more good players. How many more wins would the Suns have this season if they kept Marquise Chris instead of Dragon Bender, so you at least had a power forward who can maybe give you 20 minutes a game and rebound, sort of, and if they had kept Alfred Payton and never brought in Jamal Crawford. I reckon several, Yeah, just with those two things, because yeah. it sort of fixes your playmaking, and it sort of fixes your rebounding. It doesn't make you good at either of those two things, but it makes you less laughably bad. And just that right there, you're a bit less of a bottom-feeding team. And I'll boil it down even more. How many more wins would we have if Devin Booker was shooting 40% from the three-point line? And Devin Booker could shoot. That's another important thing. Devin Booker could shoot 40% from the three-point line because we know he can if you break down the splits and the shooting stats. Well, maybe not quite 40%. He shoots like 38%. Yeah, but close. He shoots like 38% on catch-and-shoot threes. He shoots 30% on pull-ups. He's not ready for the James Harden role. He's still more... We talk about it all the time. We talked about it on our YouTube channel. Another plug for the timeline phoenix suns youtube channel more videos are coming booker is not james harden and he's not clay thompson he's more advanced offensively than thompson he's less advanced than harden and we're not sure where that final stage of his career is going to end up but as long as he's a hybrid of the of both you need a competent playmaker beside him in the backcourt to get him those open looks because right now he's just so much more efficient as a catch and shoot shooter we haven't really talked about him in a while but tyler johnson has had a stretch, a better stretch than he's had going in these last two games. Essentially, two he game had stretch. one of his, I think, his season high. Yeah, he had a season high in the last game, and then today he played pretty well in his former team against Miami. He was pretty bad before that. I, I tweeted at one time he was six for thirty-three. I believe that was in his first like five or six games. He just he couldn't hit a single shot, whether it be from three, and his attacking has not been good so far. These last few games, he's kind of showed what he's good at, and I think part of it is offensively he can hit an open shot, not really off the dribble, but at least an open shot catch and shoot, that's good. He can attack a little bit, he can get fouled, he can get to the rim, he can score. And then the other thing I liked a lot is he's he's tenacious on defense. He's not overly athletic, he's not super, super fast. But he will dig. He will dive down. He will fight for the ball. He'll get physical off the ball for rebounds. I mean, he's a guy that's not afraid to kind of get scrappy um, in in the vein of a lot of players that we've seen that aren't stars but are willing to put a lot of work in. So I think he's shown a little bit more. I I don't know how consistent he's going to be. I still think he's another guy that we're forcing to play out of position, so it's difficult to say if anything is sustainable long term. But I think he has been playing a little bit better. How do you feel so far about Tyler Johnson? Uh, Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him just for the shout-out. Played better in his last two games. It's not sustainable what he's doing right now in these past two games. Let's just say that. Uh, He shot 7 for 11 from 3, has 9 assists and 1 turnover combined in the last two games. So if you can get production out of that, um, or if you can get production like that out of him, you're doing great. All I want him to do is hit threes at like a 35% rate play okay defense just keep his man in front of him uh and rush back on transition defense uh and then be able to maybe kind of assist booker uh as a secondary playmaker in the backcourt but very much as a secondary playmaker i don't want him to be really the guy running the offense either if he could just do those he sort of checks the boxes for a decent backcourt mate for the rest of the season of Devin Booker I still don't expect him to get any minutes next season but who knows if James Jones continues to not acquire a point guard then maybe we'll have to this is a really difficult stretch of games coming up for the Suns 
How many more wins do you think it's possible this team could get it's, for the rest of the it's season? It's funny. My roommates just made a bet today on a Wendy's four for four that on whether because you know college kids it's not like we're gonna put put down a lot of money on this but uh that the Suns would get over under five wins that's what they're setting one of them actually said that we could get five wins for the rest of the season and i told him point blank i think you're being a little optimistic although now we have one of i agree now we have one of those five wins so maybe he'll he'll win uh in the end yeah Ah, I don't know. I I just it's so hard to break out of this spell of losing. It just seeps into your culture. It seeps into your locker room. That's very much a long term thing as well. Like when we're talking about next season, how do the Suns break out of out of this streak of losing seasons? But very much in the short term as well. How do you break out of a 17 game losing streak and, and find it in you to go on a run when you know that these games ultimately don't matter? Uh, I just don't know if the Suns have that in them at this point again tonight was great it doesn't necessarily make me that optimistic just because the suns handed them so many opportunities to win this game uh and also we haven't even mentioned by the way the heat were without like a decent amount of role players they were playing without justice winslow Mm -hmm. they were playing without uh former son Derek jones jr who's having like a pretty good year as a role player uh rodney magruder Mm -hmm. james johnson we were missing tj warren obviously but like that's not an insignificant amount of players uh, to be out for the Heat tonight. So we got lucky there as well. I just don't think it bodes well for the Suns having much uh, future success in the next few weeks. I'd probably go with three or four more wins. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And actually, now that you brought him up quickly, what's going on with TJ Warren? (laughs) This is a really, it's gotten kind of bizarre at this point where it feels like we haven't really heard any update and where he's at. They do update us and say he's not playing. That's kind of the only updates we've heard about him. It's an ankle injury, and it feels kind of a long time to recover from ankle injuries. It's it's like every season there's like a bizarre stretch where TJ Warren is out for more games than it feels like he should be based on the injury. And if that means he's being careful, then that's good. I, I do want him to be careful. I think that all NBA players in general should take their health more into their own hands than the team's hands. But it's just a little bit odd that we haven't heard much about him. I really hope we get to see him play for this last stretch because, well, it's just it would be nice to know what we got in him and the rest of the guys that could potentially be on this team going forward. Yeah, it's it's a bit weird, but it's just an ankle injury. It's not like a couple years ago when it was that mysterious head injury where it was like, what's wrong with TJ? Does he have like a severe concussion? Uh, I think was the rumor that was flying around, and we never got an answer for that either. The the team very successfully kept that under wraps. This is an ankle injury. I wouldn't worry about it. I'm sure he'll be back soon. Uh, the Suns are about to have three days off, so who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll even see him for the next game. I forget who the next game is against. It's against the Pelicans. Homestand mm-hmm. coming up against the Pelicans, Lakers, Bucks, and Knicks. Do you think we win any of those games? Maybe the Knicks? I mean, that's the only... That's the only, uh, you know, but this this team is so unpredictable. It'll probably be the Lakers and the, or one, the Bucks or something. Another one. Again. It would be pretty funny to go 2-0 and against the Bucks this season. <laughs> they could somehow pull that off. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, did you see Zion blow through his shoe? Yeah, I mean, everyone saw it. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> if you think that that, oh, there, there was someone and, and now... It's just a shame that you put me on the spot for this one only because there was a Reddit post about this that I wish I could read off to everyone. If you think that that has any impact on on Zion's draft stock or his ability to succeed in the NBA, shut up. It doesn't. It doesn't change a a goddamn thing. No, it means he's injury prone, Sam. (laughs) Didn't you read that post? Let me see if I can. He's clearly injury prone now. (laughs) I think the conversation is an interesting conversation around Zion in general at this point because. It's just it's taken aim at the NCAA, which I'm always okay with. I think not only is the NCAA just a scam when it comes to ripping off the star athletes, I also think it's just kind of ridiculous in general that it's just constant cheating. <laughs> so I just think it's interesting. I think Zion will play. I think there's no chance he sits out, and I think he should play uh, because it, it, it'll be good for him to play in a tournament situation like that, and it's just good for guys to remain competitive. So that conversation is a little bit silly, but... Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't affect his draft stock at all. Here it is. It's just it's it was just fuel for the few Zion haters, the the few hipsters, to come out of the woodwork. <laughs> Around a month and a half ago, I made a post begging this sub to get off the Zion train because I knew he was injury prone. I wasn't surprised. He knew. He, he knew. 
folks, he knew. Uh, <laughs> user, not a basketball analyst. So <laughs> he's not a basketball <laughs> analyst, but somehow he knew. Is he us? I don't Is know. he us? <laughs> I wasn't surprised to see him get injured 33 seconds into yesterday's game. I've said Zion is oh, a bust God. for a while now. Not because he can't play, because he won't be able to. He's a bust? He's a bust. Oh, my God. Zion He's already a bust. bust. He's already a bust. We're this at the point three the, months before the draft, and you're already a bust? The, the Shut levels, the fuck up. And this is the problem. The levels. <laughs> this, is the, this is the problem with the draft analysis that we get like at this stage in general. And I was kind of touching on this a couple weeks ago with just the hot takes. It's just everyone's begging to do the hot takes on either side. They just need to have the oh, team yeah. that stands out from the rest yeah. of the crowd. It's crazy. Right. And if it's right, they'll bring it up every day till the end of time. And if they're wrong, you'll never hear about it again. Yeah. And when you put, it, it is really silly. When you put this much effort, think about the people who put this much effort into saying that someone is a bust this far ahead of the draft are if they're not going to be willing to admit that they were ever wrong. Ever. If that player turns out to be a good player, they're just going to continue yeah. to pick apart. These days, in the day, right. and as someone who loves advanced statistics, brings up you know advanced statistics yeah. all the time on this podcast, we live in an age where you can find a stat for literally anything. Any part of a player's game you can pick apart. No, right. no player in the NBA is good at every single advanced statistic. You can always find something that takes away from their game, and there are going to be people like that because they've just put in this much effort into shitting on players before they even play a single second of NBA basketball. Yeah, the, the crowd that makes me laugh the most is the crowd that only brings up that Ben Simmons can't shoot. <laughs> yeah. It's like Ben Simmons is good at everything else. Yeah. And he's young. He's only really played two seasons here. And all you're going to talk about is that he can't shoot. It's a lot like the crowd, which is they're dwindling and they're fading away into nothing. But the crowd that was like that with Giannis originally, too. There was a lot of people out there that said, oh, he'll never be successful if he can't figure out his jump shot. Turns out he's still pretty good. Mm -hmm. He's probably going to win an MVP this year, in fact. Mm -hmm. They might win 64 games. We talked about it on the last episode. They might win 64 games, yeah. All right, so next time we talk, uh, we'll have beaten the Bucks and lost to the Knicks somehow, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's probably the way to go. Kevin Knox will post 35 points and 12 rebounds <laughs> and will ascend promptly to the front page of uh, RNBA. Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson's going to get a poster this week. How about that? We need something to look. We need like something it. to call out and look forward to this. Uh, Brooke Lopez. Suns get one win on Brooke Lopez. Josh Josh Jackson posterizes Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Or Tyson. Josh Chandler. Jackson posterizes. Josh Josh Jackson posterizes Brooke Brooke Lopez in the fourth quarter, uh, with ten seconds left, and the Suns are down by twenty eight. <laughs> yep. Oh God! Wouldn't that just suck the win? Like, part part of the hype about the poster dunks is like seeing the social media reaction afterwards like everyone gets all excited about it can you just imagine if the suns are down by like 28 three minutes left in the third quarter or something and josh jackson gets decides to do his poster dunk then they'll just be laughing yeah. and if because it's the suns they'd call an offensive foul and then a technical foul for hanging on the rim <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of which there was a hanging on the rim technical that was assessed to the heat today oh. i just hate that so much if we're just going on that aside. There's two things that I think should be removed from the rule book. The, the hanging on the rim thing should just be a little more lenient. I, I don't think they should hang there forever or completely showboat for five minutes. I do think showboating should be allowed. It's fine. I want, I want showboating. Uh, Bring it back. I want yeah. poster dunks, and I want Sean Kemp-style 90s reactions back in the NBA. Yeah. I like, don't, that would be so I don't really dope. understand why that's not allowed. Uh, and yeah, I don't want them to hang forever, but the idea that a single pull-up is enough to call a technical foul is insane. Unless there's another shot put up and it's a missed dunk or something, then, then of course, it's offensive interference. But beyond that, that should be allowed. And the other thing, and I've talked about this on Twitter, and I think it's stupid, is the idea that kicking the ball on defense is not allowed is kind of a stupid idea. And maybe I'm out on a limb on my own here. But if you could stop the if you could stop the entry pass with any part of your body, you should be allowed to do that. I don't understand how you can kick on offense and it's not it's not any fouls in, in general, but you can't kick the ball on defense. You can't use the ball. You can't use your foot to stop an entry pass. I love the idea of them being allowed to do that. I just don't understand the logic of that not being allowed. I've never really thought of that. I don't think that would really impact the game much. Like in what sort of situation would it be more efficient for you as a defender to stick out your leg? Well, bounce passes. A lot of yeah, bounce passes will go underneath your reach. It's just so much energy. They do it anyway. Ended, it feels like. I guess you just have to retrain the players. It would be one of those sorts of things. Um, 
Yeah, the NBA, you don't think Mikael Bridges would be better if he was using his long legs along with his long arms? No, he would. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, all defenders, I guess, would be a little bit better. In in a way, I think there are a lot of gripes about basketball like that. Like basketball is basketball is a ton of rules. A lot of them may be unnecessary. Uh, you know, you look at a sport like soccer, and if you're a big soccer fan, maybe the beauty of it is just how free flowing of a game it is with so few rules. And then basketball, there's so many various violations that you can pick up that kind of slow down that pace of play with the rim hanging thing. I especially think the NBA needs to get on that because we've already talked about how the NBA mirrors professional wrestling in terms of drama and storylines. Like the NBA is really popular with young people, for instance, because they embrace the drama. They embrace the online outrage culture. Showboating is exactly that. Like people will eat that stuff up. And I think the NBA is just making a huge uh, mistake by trying to stomp that out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it makes I think the NFL, I don't want to use them as a shining example of anything here, but the idea that if they don't taunt the other team, it's okay. You can taunt the crowd, you can taunt sort of in the air as long as you're not up in another player's face. And I think if they just did that, that would that would solve it. That would be totally fine. Just let them have a little bit of fun. The refs are so scared of that now, I feel like. Just let them be insane for a little well, bit. Well, you know, it's fun. I guess it's fun to see Russell Westbrook stomp around. It's shades of malice at the palace still probably lurking yeah. around in Adam Silver's mind. Uh, what is it, 15 years later? Everyone's still afraid of another situation mm-hmm. like that. But. I think that's well in our past at this point. I think we should just let the players have a little bit of fun. That's right. Let them have fun. just wrapped up another episode of the timeline i love this podcast and if you're like me you want as much sun's content as possible that's why i listen to the timeline every week so if you want to go ahead and hear some more phoenix sun's content go ahead and listen to the solar panel a phoenix sun show we are available on spotify on itunes on stitcher on google play anywhere that you listen to podcasts go ahead and check out the solar panel a phoenix sun's show Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.